Welcome to Redemption's Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption's Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. Amen. You can be seated. It's good to see you. Yeah, okay. You too. I appreciate that. Um, so we're in between this week. I uh, we just finished the book of Romans last week, uh, so we're going to do a one-off message before we start our new book uh, next week. So we're going to be in the parable of the soils. I'm going to go ahead and read that, and we'll get started. Uh, this is in Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat, and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and they devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But with the sun, when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear." Down to verse 18. Here then, the parable of the sower. This is after the, the disciples say, hey, can we get a little clue about what's going on here? Verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but he endures for a while And when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of this word, immediately he falls away. As for what is sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundred, in another sixty, in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask that you draw near to us. Uh, be with us in our time. Lord, we desperately want to not just gather for an hour or a little over and do our thing. We want you to come and draw near. Let us worship you. Let us see you for the beauty of who you are. Come and work in our hearts. We ask that you would do that. We pray this in your name. Amen. So in the in-between, uh, not going to do much intro or much messing around. I'll just try and set the groundwork uh, by asking a what you may consider even a, a cliche question, and, and I am totally fine with it. Uh, the question is simple. You may have to wrestle a little bit to answer it, because uh, maybe it's not one that you're used to actually giving an honest answer or actually thinking about it. So here's the question. We're going to try and set the stage uh, for this text with today, and the question is this. What is happening in your heart right now? That's it. And I know that question feels broad in scope, and maybe it feels too ethereal to grab a hold on, so I can try and hone it down just a little bit so it can be managed or held on to this morning. What is happening in your heart concerning your faith in Jesus right now? And we'll clarify, I'm not asking what's happened in your heart concerning your faith ever in your life. Uh, I'm not asking what's happened in the last season or the last year or two years ago when you had some great phase of faith. I'm not asking about what's happened in your heart since the summer months. I'm asking what is happening in your heart because of your faith like this week or in the last two weeks, like right now. 
What is happening concerning your heart and your Savior if your faith is in Jesus? What's that relational dialogue doing? What's happening in there? What's moving? What's kind of happening in you right now because of your faith? And if you try and answer that question honestly, I think there's probably three categories that we would fall into, uh, three general headings of possibilities. Uh, one may be to say, you hear that question, you go, I, I, don't, I don't know. I wouldn't say nothing. I wouldn't say a lot. I just, like, I, I just I literally don't have any idea. I, I don't know. I've, I've been busy. I've been distracted. Things are going on, trying to, to, to get started. Summer's over. Got the summer blues, just trying to kind of get going. My focus has been elsewhere, or I'm not really sure what's happening in my heart right now because I haven't really asked the question or slowed down to think about it. If that's where you're at and we ask the question, hey, where's your heart regarding your faith? And you go, man, I just don't know. Uh, the hope today is just that you would pursue an answer that you would walk out today asking that question, and even more so that the Holy Spirit would, would help you with this, to clearly see what's happening in your heart and on a heart level. And if the answer is nothing, that you would maybe be bold enough to proud why, why that's happening right now. The hope is that your heart and your soil from this parable and the awareness of those things and how those things stand would clarify today. Then you may answer the, the question, what's happening in your heart regarding your faith right now? And you go, nothing, <laughs> zero, nada, zilch. Like that is the furthest thing on my mind. Like what's happening in my heart concerning Jesus? Like, I don't know, I came to church. Maybe you find yourself occupied with other things. Uh, maybe heart level things have been the least of your worries for a number of things that, that have happened to you lately, if you find yourself in this spot, and, and maybe even if you'd be really honest, you'd say, man, I'm there's nothing happening in my heart, like, I think probably because some sin has crept in, and that's kind of, I don't know, kind of twisted and, and, and moved some things. If you find yourself there and, and you realize it, first of all, I tell you that's actually a gift. It's a gift to realize nothing is happening inside because it's a, a call from the Holy Spirit to move out of that place. If that's where you're at, I would say clearly, man, I pray that the Savior King would begin actively leading your heart again today, that your faith wouldn't be mechanical and, and just ritualistic, but the beauty of a good king who is loving and kind and says, hey, come, let me bear your burdens, hide under the shadow of my wings, come walk with me. I, man, I pray that that would be real to you. And, and maybe you answer, hey, man, a ton's happening in my heart concerning my flesh. And Jesus has been challenging me and, and doing work and molding and, and moving and stretching my faith, and, and he's walked nearer than ever before. I feel the closeness of a, of a good Savior who's Man, it's just, he's really good. And maybe peace and rest and, and hope are growing in your heart right now. If that's the case for you, man, praise God for that. We don't always have to look for things wrong. That's, 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 not, that's not the point of the, the question, man. My hope is that you would worship in gratitude. God, you've done a good thing. I didn't bring my heart to this place, but you have. You're good and you're kind and your voice would ring out with the goodness of a God who's done that. Now start by asking this question, obviously, for a reason. We, we've talked about where we felt like God is leading us as a church quite a bit over the last year. Uh, we talked about last week just the kind of the, the re-understanding of the hope that we would have a faithful biblical worldview, that God was challenging us to be more equipped and more confident and more uh, prepared uh, to, to be able to walk with an open Bible, the Holy Spirit, in our community and realize that that is enough to navigate all the craziness that's coming at us. Right? And so we want to grow in biblical literacy, not to become master theologians, not to become discernment bloggers or tell everybody else how they're dumb. We want to not be tossed in f to and fro by everything that comes at us. That was one thing that we had really been pushing towards. That's why we were in Romans for, well, all year. 
And another thing that God is leading us towards past faithful biblical worldview, and the elders have been talking about it, one that, that man, I feel strongly that God is pushing us towards, is maturing in our understanding of what we'll call grace-driven effort. And those may sound like oxymorons to you, but, but, but they're not. Growing in our maturity of grace-driven effort. This is an area that our church and, and many churches in the West that are in what we call the Reformed tradition, I, I feel probably need to grow in just a little bit. The gospel, the good news of, of Jesus, teaches us a really beautiful message that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. All of that focus is that you and I don't save ourselves. There's nothing that we can do. Our obedience and our works, are not, there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves, but the obedience of Christ and throwing the full weight of our belief into that is the beauty of what saves us. It's meant to give us a peace knowing that you don't have to make yourself acceptable. You do not have to earn the Father's love. We don't have to be better. We don't have to be smarter. We don't have to be more cleaned up or more polished or, or, or more wise. God's love is not predicated on any goodness or awesomeness we bring to the table. And the honest heart goes, oh, thank God. Thank God for that. Thank the Lord for that. Now, this push towards uh, grace in the Bible should lead us to worship. Right? That, that is the, the proper walking out of that because God saves those who appear unsavable and unclean and probably feel quite unlovable at a deep level. He takes what is broken and puts it back together in his love and mercy. He takes what is dead in sin and he breathes life into it through the gospel and through the work of Jesus. This push towards grace, it also does really great things because it lets anyone in. If no person is too far gone, for God to save and put back together. There's no person who can hear the gospel message and go, man, I just don't think that's for me. I'm, I'm too much. My, my history, my past, my college days, my, my heart, the things that I've hidden, I, there, there's no way that God could ever love me. Well, since we are saved by grace, our perceived level of brokenness or evil or just plain uh, maybe inadequacy, they don't factor into God's love for us. To whether we can be saved in that regard, it's all about Jesus. This is what we hope we learn about grace. You don't have to fix you. He does it, and then you can thank him and worship him for it. But here's the problem. Here's where almost 11 years in, we've noticed a rub and a need to mature. Our church and, and quite a few others, if we are honest, that preach grace alone can at times inadvertently fall into a really serious issue. It can lead to thinking, since grace saves, then things just don't matter that much. And you wouldn't say it that way, but that's the way it actually gets walked out in the heart. Since God saves through Jesus, and since he can save the worst sinners, and since we don't earn our way in, and since, effort, uh, and since our effort doesn't make us lovable, we can then begin to think that effort afterwards actually isn't important. And this is what we'll call an over-realized theology of grace that can quite easily slide in, and it begins to create kind of a, a laissez-faire, go with the flow, relax, let go and let God type of faith, which leads to a whole host of other problems when it gets walked out. It can lead to a life that doesn't uh, really think that sin is a very big deal. That's a, that's a far side of, of what this does. It's the, man, the mentality that causes people who call themselves Christians and not be bothered at all that they have a clear problem with drunkenness. Grace. Mm, I don't know. 
right? It's the thing that can then make someone who calls themselves a Christian not be bothered by, by a sexual ethic and a, and a sexual lifestyle that is clearly condemned in the word. It's even the thing that leads us to go like, yeah, it just doesn't matter if I come to church or act generous or actually try and follow Jesus because of grace. An unhealthy view of grace, therefore, can lead to a misunderstanding where we think what, where we don't understand what we do and how we live actually matters to God. See, here's the catch. In, in biblical language, we call it an indicative imperative. You do not cause yourself to be saved. What you do does not save yourself, but when God has saved you, what you do matters quite a lot. Here's the other side. A lax view of sin and morality can lead to this misunderstanding of grace. This other side is a little bit more subtle. It's a little bit more tricky. It's a little bit more nuanced. But what it does is it leads to an overall stunted growth and stunted maturity in the faith. If we lean too far into grace, we can miss the call to holiness. And in light of the parable today, we can also miss the call that good soil is meant to bear fruit. We can miss consistent calls in the Bible to work out our faith, to pay attention to it, and we'll have no concept. If, if, it's, if nothing matters and it's all Jesus and he did it all, then, then we can really have no concept. Well, why would you need to do hard things like obey or pray? You Categorically, like, why in the world would I fast? What would be the need to, like, that's hard. Why would I need to do that or give or evangelize or fight my flesh? If we're not careful and, and, the, and our theological understanding of grace goes too far, we're going to miss the reality. The song that's been in my head all week is this, you're the potter, I'm the clay, this old song, mold me and make me. God wants to shape his sons and daughters, right? Instead, we can begin to think that we can just drift along like a boat without an anchor, just kind of moving. Here's the problem. In the world that we live in without an anchor, the world will take us places. God will not. We are not meant to drift. Again, the the wording in our minds, we're meant to grow and bear fruit. D.A. Carson said this and uh, read it years and years ago and had it heard it said not too long ago, but about the mentality of drifting, you can call it a lack of intentionality, a lack of heart awareness, any of those things. People do not drift towards holiness. There's one thing that we could understand that's really important. We don't drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not navigate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. That one hits. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking that we've escaped legalism. We slide towards godliness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. When we ask about the workings of the heart and if we're paying attention to them, a large reason for this is an overrealized theology of grace will be fine with never giving very much attention to the heart. Why? Because it just doesn't matter that much. If it's all Jesus, the posture of the heart and where the heart's at and what's happening in there, it won't really come into the equation. Why? Because it... Why? Why? If Jesus' work and grace are all that matter then the heart won't matter if we take it too far. 
So our hope and a large reason that we're going to go towards the book of Hebrews next is um, I believe in that book God can grow us in our understanding of grace-driven effort. We do not want to become legalists, right? We don't want to become moralists. We don't want to become fundamentalists. That's not what we're heading at. We want our eyes more opened into what does intentionality look like and how the grace of God is meant to do real work and continual work and foster really continued seasons of fruit and beauty in our hearts and our lives. The reason that Hebrews is a good book for this, we believe, is it will over and over remind us that Jesus is better than everything, right? All things. You're going to look at angels, priests, all things around, uh, throughout that you can look at, Jesus is better than that and that and that and that. It's going to press the goodness and mercy and supremacy and grace of Jesus on us. All of that it's going to hold to be true, and then it's going to simultaneously give us five really strong warnings, calling us towards intentionality. Jesus is better than everything, and do not harden your heart. That's intentionality. Jesus is better than everything. Do not neglect obedience. Jesus is better than everything. Do not neglect and gathering with the brothers and sisters, right? Over and over and over. So what it does is it really well balances uh, together the understanding of grace while still calling us to act. It shows us that we can be saved by grace and then grow in grace after. Today, in the in-between, we want to look at the parable of the soils, a parable that we've preached before and I found myself quite drawn to over the last uh, three years because I, I had conversations with some of you. This parable just hits different than it did three years ago. There's a different understanding of it now. And the hope is that we'll see that Jesus is calling us to maybe a fuller understanding that we are meant to see the kingdom of God more and more and more. And we're meant to bear fruit in our faith. Please don't hear me as, oh man, he's going to tell me i got to work harder. I'm, I'm trying to show you that Jesus wants to do more. Like, that's kind of where we're headed. So this parable of the soils is in all three synoptic gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which show us the weight of the parable. God found it important that you not hear it in one book or two, but, but three. Um, and a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a, a spiritual lesson. We're not, we're not going to go into a deep dive. You can probably get that. He's going to make a story and it's going to teach you something about the kingdom of God and faith through that story, knowing that this parable can be a little bit difficult to understand or, or comprehend. Uh, we're going to kind of look at the terms first for a second to make sure we know what those are, and then hopefully we'll be able to understand where Jesus is driving at in the text. The, the sower in the text is Christ. The original one is Christ, and anyone who begins to proclaim the, the word of the gospel and the word of the king after would be the sower, but, but Jesus is the primary sower. The seed is the word of the kingdom and the gospel. The soils are the hearts of men and women. What is the heart posture specifically in this? When the seed hits you, what's the heart posture of men and women? The birds are, are satanic and demonic opposition, and the thorns are worry and deceit and the draw of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth. Jesus says in the parable that a sower goes out to sow seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, and some fall on rocky ground, and some fall on ground with a lot of thorns, and some falls on good soil. 
And it would kind of seem like, man, this is just a lazy farmer. Like somebody told their kid, hey, you can't come in until you've thrown out the soil. I'm like, all right, fine. And they just kind of threw it indiscriminately everywhere. Uh, but this is how ancient farming was done. The farmer would go out and he'd cast his seed first into uh, the field. And then after he'd cast it, he'd come back with a plow afterwards. And the plow would kind of insert the, the, the seed into the soil. We do it a little bit different now, but that's why the, the seed is hitting all of these kinds of soil. What stands out about the parable is first there's four types of soil mentioned. And only one of them bears fruit. Right? If you're math in that, that's not like a super high percentage. Only one has a healthy or mature harvest. Even though all sorts or all those soils will have the exact same seed, all of them won't have the same result. After Jesus gave the initial parable, the disciples were a little confused, like, hey, can you, like, uh, can you hook us up with, like, the answers? I don't really know everything that you're saying here. And he told them, okay, hey, the seed is the message of the kingdom, the gospel. It's the good news that he has come to deal with the problem of sin and death and brokenness. Um, King Jesus has come in to usher in what the Bible calls the kingdom of God, one that is not broken like the world that we see. This idea with the blessing of time uh, and clarity, it makes sense to us. The idea of the, the same seed, the message of the gospel, and the kingdom landing different on different hearts. We, we've seen this if we've probably paid attention. Have you seen the gospel affect people differently? You've seen the, the same gospel, some reject it, and some hate it. Some hate you for speaking of it. And then we've seen a, a different reaction where they're like, they don't hate it. They're just like, yeah, cool. I don't care. We've seen indifference towards the seed. And, and we've also seen the same seed, the same gospel, turn a person upside down and change them completely. The message can do vastly different things to different hearts. What does this mean? The seed, therefore, does not need to change. Only hearts do. Guys, this is why we preach exegetically. This is why we're not trying to give TED Talks and reinvent the wheel and ooh and ah and do all these other things. The seed is perfectly fine. It, it, it's the hearts that need to change. What we see from this parable, what we see from Jesus with the benefit of his explanation, is the first soil, right? The one along the path. Some will hear the gospel, and Jesus explained it afterwards. And it's literally just going to bounce off. The seed will bounce off. They don't think about it. They don't mull it over. Their hearts are like a hard path. So think of a walking path or a mountain bike path, something that is beaten down really, really hard. People have trampled on it over and over and over. And it is just, you're, you're not going to get anything in that ground because it's essentially like concrete. So, so the gospel is spread at some points and it doesn't penetrate. It just lays there. And the birds, the enemy, they come and they gladly steal it and eat it. The idea of hardness is used all over the Scripture to show um, how sin hardens the heart. It's not just a, a, a guy who doesn't show emotion. This idea of hardness of heart is, is sin. The deceitfulness of sin slowly starts uh, hardening uh, and, and callousing the, the heart to where the seed could never actually get near to it because it cannot penetrate the heart. This example of this type of soil would be a person who is not saved. And yet it still holds a warning to us. We need to be careful that we don't go heretical and take this into to directions too far that we just don't know quite what Jesus is doing with it. But it does warn us something. The gospel will never penetrate a hard heart. Be careful to not allow yourself to get a hard heart. 
Be careful about your sin. Be careful about your navigation of sin. Be careful about what you're doing when you notice. Here's a thing that that maturity begins to do in cycles over your life. You're going to start to know things that harden your heart and soften it. Like the Holy Spirit does a whole ton of work, but you know certain patterns of yours that will tend to harden it. Be careful. Be careful about that. Then we see a second soil, soil on rocky ground. Now, this isn't like the first soil. This is some, some soil that, that, that looks fine, but it's actually a thin layer of it over, over a lot of rock and hard ground. So the first soil, the seed couldn't get in because the top layer is, is packed down and hard. The second one, it actually can. But the problem is the soil is so thin and so shallow that it cannot sustain any type of health. The roots can't get deep enough to actually foster any type of fruit or harvest. So the, the seed, it gets into the, that little thin area of dirt and it shoots up and it looks like it's going to do something amazing and it looks promising. And then not long after, a summer month comes and it dies. It gets absolutely scorched. I know this soil well. If you've been to my house and looked in my backyard, that's what my backyard is. Right? The guy who originally built it and said that he graded it, he drug like a millimeter of dirt everywhere. And they're like, it's good. And then we planted grass, put the seed out, put the hay out, watered it. And, and immediately we see some stuff popping up like, babe, we got a yard and we're so excited. And then July comes, all scorched earth, death. Right? There, there's no root there. It's never come back. And it's just weeds. And in June, they, if we mow it and you come, it could trick you into thinking it's grass, but it's not. It, it's all weeds. Right? There's not enough dirt there for the roots to go deep. You cannot sustain life. Though we thought we were good with the grass, we quickly realized it was just a flash in the pan of growth. This soil in the parable is like a person who makes a profession of faith quite quickly. They hear the gospel and they think, well, I, don't, I don't hate that idea. Sounds good. Hell's hot. Yeah, right? And so in excitement, they, they say yes to Jesus in word, and they say yes to faith in, in word, but they do it without actually thinking of the implications of, of their faith or what Christianity is, without realizing that the call to Christianity is a call to persecution and a call to come and die. The Savior who went to the cross first says, come and lay down your life as well, and I will give you brand new life that's way better than the old one. As you follow me, the call to Christianity involves the death of the sinful you. So as soon as the person makes a profession of faith, and this profession of faith becomes a little bit difficult, as soon as it challenges their heart or their desires or it begins to kind of uh, speak into what they're doing in life, they're like, nah, I'm good. And they walk away. They love the idea at first of Christianity. And here's what we've seen in many years. Some people really love the idea of community and they'll deal with Jesus. They don't actually want to be Christian. A famous preacher, John Owen, was asked, hey, how many people were saved at that one large revival that you preached at? And he said, I'm not sure right now. Ask me in a year. I can't, I can't give you that information right now. I can tell you how many people like rose their hand or made a profession or prayed a prayer. But if you're asking how many people became Christians, like time will tell. I'm not sure. He knew many, many people would get excited about Jesus for a second. They'll flirt with the idea of Jesus, but then they'll walk away and never give it a second thought. There's a difference between a profession of faith 
in possession of it. The quick initial response to the seed led to no fruit once again. And we're halfway through the soils. I want to just like time out and step to the side. If one ends up being good soil, we want to make sure we're not becoming elitist and think, well, I did that and these guys didn't. It's the work of the Spirit that does this. These are just the different reactions to the different hearts that the gospel hits. So seed is scattered and it hits a third type of soil, one that looks different than the first two, right? We're 0 for 2 and it hits a third and we're like, maybe this one. And this, the third soil isn't beaten down like a path and uh, it isn't on top of a bunch of rock. The soil looks good and the seed hits it and the seed uh, begins to sprout and it begins to grow and like things look really promising. But the problem is that that seed is growing amongst the thorns. And those thorns, they've been there for a long time and their roots go quite deep. And Jesus explains to us that the thorns are actually the, the cares of the world. They've been there for a long time. And those thorns, what they do is compete with the good seed and war against it. If you have two plants in the same area, they're both fighting for the same ground and the same nutrients and the same stuff. And so they're competing together. He's saying, hey, slowly the thorns will choke life away from the seed until it dies. This seed couldn't grow because the world took its health. Now, we need to notice something. Because this doesn't say that the, over, uh, the overt sins of the world are thorns. That's not what it says. It doesn't say awful things are thorns. It says the cares of the world are. So in our world, the cares of the world, the things that we give our attention to, the things that, that draw us and say life will be okay if you do this or have this, man, your education could be your thorn, your job, climbing in your job, making just a little bit more money, your 401k, your kids' sports, a family could even be a thorn if you're not careful. Hobbies can be a thorn. Your recreation, your, your politics, your involvement in politics, your vacations can be a thorn. Your desire for sure can be a, a thorn. Your, your self-love and listening to how the world tells you to love yourself can be a, a, a thorn. The heavy reality is that It isn't just terribly sinful things that can choke out the seed. That's the tricky part. An overwhelming amount of ordinary things that aren't God can, though. They can literally choke out the ability for the seed to grow. The seed can be suffocated by regular routines and regular habits and desires that aren't even sinful, but the roots go deeper than the seed does. When they become the biggest driving force, the choke out the life from the seed. This feels a lot like the story of the rich young ruler. You remember that? A guy comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And this guy, like, I mean, he looks polished. He, he's, he's, he's a moral dude. Uh, he's a generous dude. He follows the laws pretty well. He believes in, in God. Like, man, he, 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 passed the, he passed the sniff test. Like, man, I, that, this guy looks good, but here's the problem. He loved his stuff in the world too much. His thorns were too strong. He loved them too much to be saved. His thorns were, were not what you would expect, but they stopped the seed from growing. His love, his distraction and care about things in the world were what stood in the way of fruit in the kingdom of God birthing beauty and new life in him. Here's what's really hard about that. He was so close. Like so close. If you even read the, the rich young ruler like, that's a horribly sad story to watch the guy, like, 
downtrodden just walk away here at the door of the kingdom. What's heartbreaking about this parable and why it's been, you know, on my mind for some time now is though we cannot judge others and we do not make final declarations over other people's soul, I'm not trying to do that, I'm not trying to proclaim that. Uh, Though that's true since COVID, I've watched and we have watched multiple people that we know, that we love, uh, that we've maybe done life with together, whether they're in this church or not, ones that we thought were, were good soil and spent relationship in for with a really long time, who appear to be thorny soil now. Right? The seeds seem to have died. Like there's not even a remnant it doesn't look like anymore. The cares of the world have taken over. What once seemed promising, and it hurts to watch people walk away, people that you love and people that you care for. And I think that's a reality that most of us feel right now. There is, by and large in the West, a mass exodus out of the church, not coming in. And so there's tons of people that we will look at. Maybe it's our family. Maybe it's one of our best friends that the worry is there. And is that thorny soil? Again, we're not making declarative judgments over people. But there is something around that we lament when we watch people all but walk away from Jesus. Hopefully, God does his work and and pulls them back. But it's hard to see that. And I think we've seen thorny soil more than we ever have before. Now, it seems like this story is a tragedy, right? We're 0 for 3. (laughs) Wow, depressing. And, And then it turns around. After the path, the rocky soil and the thorny soil, there's good soil. And the seed hits this, and it grows. And the root reaches down into the soil deep enough to where the thorns can't choke it out and where the weather can't dry it out, and the soil produces fruit and grain, and there ends up being a harvest, a time where seed births a bounty, and it says that there's 160 and 30-fold. The seed has done something great, and what they're telling us is not just, hey, in a glory year 15 years ago, there was one harvest. This 160 and 30-fold is a realization that the, the seed sprouts out, gives new life, and then what has uh, that, that new life that grows drops more seed, and then it sprouts out again. It's an understanding that there's a cycle of fruit that comes out of good soil. The beauty of this is the continuation of a harvest of goodness through the work of God. Jesus, when he explains this soil goes into a little more detail for us saying the word, the seed, the gospel, when it hits good soil, it actually does something. The heart doesn't just listen to it as in just take it in the ears. It listens in a way that actually hears it in the heart and understands. The seed does something in the heart of good soil. It changes us, and this doesn't just happen upon conversion and never again. This is why Jesus says, for those who have ears, let them hear which is Jesus telling us we aren't meant to just listen to him. We aren't meant to just nod our our head at the gospel and agree with it and build a catalog of theological knowledge. The gospel is meant to drive deep into our being and birth new life over and over and over again. Am I saying that we get saved over and over? No, no, no. But the reality of the kingdom and the beauty of God continues to have a harvest of goodness in good soil. We are meant to not just once, but regularly hear the gospel and grow. 
We're meant to hear it in a way that forms us over and over again. What I believe God is kind of wanting for us here at Redemption Hill is to understand that you and I are meant to grow a harvest of healthy fruit. The gospel teaches about, or the parable teaches about how the gospel lives, or how it lands on different hearts. And that's useful and wonderful to know and find hope in. But we quickly kind of miss the reality of a harvest that comes from the seed. seed. We are meant to say yes to Jesus one time and in one season and then never grow again. To never see the gospel work in us again. The gospel is meant to grow and grow and grow again. Mold me and make me. You're the potter. I'm the clay. Make me more like the king. Why I ask what's going on in our heart right now is simple. There can be an assumption that we are good soil producing harvest. It's really easy to get into autopilot. Hey, man, from the parable, like, which one do you think you are? Good soil, cool. Hey, what's kind of that, what's kind of the fruit that God's, I don't know, I'm good soil, though. There can be assumption that we're hearing and truly hearing it. We have to realize there's a difference between listening and hearing. We have to be intentional and relentless and fight to hear and fight to see the posture of our hearts. And in humility, ask, is there healthy fruit in my life right now? And if there's not, why? This is not turning us into people of production. It's just asking the deeper question, do you want to be deeper soil who sees the king in the kingdom more? If so, you've got to pay attention to what's happening inside of your heart. The last thing I want to do is for you to hear me say, do better. Again, it leads us back. What I hope that we would see together is that maybe God's just pressing on our heart to say, hey, man, I'm just not done with you. Right? Fruit isn't a one-time thing for you. You aren't meant to, or you were meant to hear and bear fruit. You, child of God, are not a barren field that lays in a corner and had your, your, your faith glory day years ago. You are good soil and ripe for a harvest. Good soil is meant to produce regular crops of fruit. The gospel isn't done with you. There's still more. My hope is that you and I would actually just believe that. God, do you, you want to do more? What is that? What's the work that you're wanting to do? Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? What do you want to lead me? What, what's the harvest of fruit? Man, my heart's been kind of hard and like, you did something like a year ago, but it's been a while. Look, come and work in me again. Let me see the good soil and your work in me. See, God hasn't sent Jesus just to save you for some later place in heaven. Isn't that the weirdness that we believe? Like, ah, someday the potter wants to mold you and make you now. Not so that he'll love you more, so that you'll be more presentable but so you'll see the fullness of the kingdom of God. This is, if you read, I read two sections in Matthew. If you read the in-between verses, maybe later today, Jesus says to those who the secrets of the kingdom have been given, more will be given. There are plans for God to keep working. What does that mean? There's this unfolding that when your heart is softened to the reality of the gospel, you see the king in the kingdom, and he lets you see it more and more and more and more, and you see the beauty, and your heart is drawn towards it to where you have this deep yearning. God, finish this. Come back. Renew. Let me see your kingdom fully. It's not just one time showing you the kingdom. More will be given. 
For those the secrets of the kingdom have been given, they'll see it more and more and more. These are the plans of God to keep working, to produce more joy and hope and peace and contentment in your heart, to walk out more mission through your life. God plans a continual harvest through good fruit. It's for you and I to see the beauty of the kingdom of God more. Here's part of what that looks like. We're seeing what God is saving us out of and into. It's for us to see the name of God hallowed more. Why does Jesus start when the disciples say, hey, teach me how to pray? He's like, hey, this is, this is how. And he says, Father, hallowed be your name. That, that wasn't like a cute intro. He's saying, God, let me put your name in the right place. Let me, let me not think of you as one of the homies who's, who's level with me. Let me see you as the, the ultimate creator who's sovereign and holy and beautiful. And your presence is like a fire. You're not like me. Let me put you in your right place so I can live in your creation, seeing you rightly. It's for the goodness of God to begin to grow in you as you go. See, this is our heart, is that we would see and experience that. That we would not just listen to it, but we'd actually hear it, and that the words of Jesus would really ring deeply for those who have ears, let them hear. So what we'll do, man, you guys can come back up. We're going to play worship. We're actually going to take communion at the same time today, uh, so don't uh, take the cup immediately and go, oh, man. Like, we're we're going to take together today. But here's the, here's the place. Like, would you wrestle with the Lord and just ask him, hey, man, what's the posture of my heart like? And for those of you who just feel callousness of the heart or difficulty of the heart, would you, would you ask him to work and to mold you? Would you ask for him to show you the goodness of his kingdom and put his name in the right place? And to, whether it's give you joy or, or a better understanding of his mercy or grace, would you ask him to work again in you? And if your heart has become hard and you're like, man, there's just nothing happening at a faith level, would you have the boldness to ask him why? And understand that maybe there's some things that you need to walk away from and repent from and Maybe there's some patterns that he's trying to draw you out of today. Would, would, would you be humble enough to ask the question and let him speak? And, and here's the beauty. If you do that, I believe it with my being that the Holy Spirit will meet you in that. Will come and work in your heart, show you what you need, and draw you closer to him. And if your heart is in a season where God is doing beautiful work and there is a harvest, praise God for you. Right? You, you, you don't get a trophy for being better than everyone, but I'm going to celebrate with you. That's a great thing that's happening. Will you tell your story and invite other people to walk into that with you? See, this is the reality. We need to get back to asking people, man, how, what's going on in your heart? What's God doing there? And expect to see continual things happen. I pray that we'll see that. I pray that we will become good soil and people who understand the balance of grace and also intentionality to see God do a deeper work in us. Would you stand and you pray with me?